1: Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customize interactive trainings. Create lasting, positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's integrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world. I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is The Mindful Marketplace. Welcome back to another edition of The Mindful Marketplace here on Biz Radio US. Glad to have you here, and thank you for taking your time with us. I know your time is the most valuable thing that you own, So, and there's a lot of content options out there, so the fact that you spend any of it here with us, I am grateful for. If this is your first time with us, On this program, we talk to entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, and economic experts who are not only solving a market problem and making a profit, but they're also solving a social problem and making an impact. It's where we learn how to connect our money and our business to our values, our community, and ourselves. Today, I am continuing a really great conversation that I'm having with Max Mintz, who is a a values-based financial advisor with his, his firm, Common Interests, located in New Jersey, United States of America. And we are going to be talking, This if you didn't listen to the first half of this episode, please go back and do that. Max has a great story and gives a really great overview on what values-based investing actually is and, and why it's important for him and his firm and what they're actually seeing happen with the clients that they serve. Um, but for this half of the episode, we want to t- dig in a little bit deeper on an article that Max wrote that you wrote. Max, welcome back to the conversation.
0: Thanks for having me, Joel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really glad to have you here. So, Max, you recently wrote an article for the publication eMoneyAdvisor.com. Um, and you've written a few articles on there, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, this one that I wanted to dig in with you on, it was really about going beyond the buzzwords of values investing. You know, there's uh, one of the most common things that people hear about, and it's kind of being hotly Debated, you know, in certain circles, um, is ESG. Um, but your the the headline of your article is values based investing going beyond ESG. And the first line, you said ESG has become a buzzword, but let's go deeper. So I'm curious. Yeah, tell us a little bit about this article and why you decided to write it.
0: Thanks, Joel, um, and again, thanks for having me. Um, I think that the um, there's a lot of politicization, politicization right now around the term ESG, and um, I wrote this article in part to have uh, to be my part in that debate because I think that um, most of the debate about ESG is missing a really, really fundamental point. And um, I think that uh, a lot of it comes down to this idea of um, sort of like we hear a lot about woke investing. And I'd like to talk today about the difference between ESG and what it is and values based investing or um, the things that actually I think that uh, many of these people are actually trying to argue against, which is really what I do. So let's start with this thing ESG. What is it? ESG, for those of you who don't know, stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Analysis. And I could do a little bit of pedantic uh, sort of um, word studies here, where I could say there really is no such thing as ESG investing. Um, ESG analysis is an overlay. It's an additional form of risk management that goes over the top of an existing investment strategy. And at this point, I think it's important to say that uh, all investing involves risk, and no strategy can guarantee you against the possibility of losses. So uh, work with your financial advisor, whatever strategies that you're going to put in place to understand your own personal risk tolerance, um, and which strategies are right to you. Um, I'm not gonna be able to give any exact uh, investment recommendations in this conversation. Uh, but I think it's important for any investors uh, to know that, um You know, all investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. So now that we've made my compliance department a little bit happy there, um, (laughs) we can sort of move on to talking about this stuff. Because ESG, at its core, is a technique that looks at what environmental, social, and governance risks could potentially do to a company's bottom line. Hmm. And I think we need to sort of like meditate on that and sit with it for a second.
1: Absolutely like, can I, can I just jump in? I want, I want to hear more, but it's because I I feel like what you just said there about how this is actually a risk um, analysis framework. It's not a, these are the type of companies that have to line up with some sort of dogma is I think one of the biggest misconceptions and even a a misconception that I've, that I've held, because when I hear it talked about in the media and in the way things are, it's always kind of, well, these are ESG companies and these ones aren't, but you're saying that that's a complete misunderstanding of what it is. Is that right?
0: Yeah. There's no such thing as an ESG company like that. That is not, that doesn't make any sense because um, like if you're going to use language like that, I would actually use the language of impact, which is to say that Um, and this is a different thing from ESG analysis, and it's actually in many ways what my clients are looking for. They're looking to invest in companies that create a positive impact on people, planet, and profit, right? Not, which is, in fact, in many ways, exactly the opposite from what ESG does. Um, And we can even define a spectrum where we say, on the the one hand, a starting point is to look at how environmental, social, and governance risks could impact a company. And then we could say, Move to a, you know, moving a little bit deeper into sort of a deeper green portfolio, right? We could start to exclude companies. We could say, I, as an investor, don't want to invest in certain industries or certain companies that have negative. And I'm going to use another word here, externalities, that have maybe a product or a service that I view as harmful. Uh, This started back in the early days of investing with the Quakers, who decided to divest from companies that were involved in apartheid in South Africa. Because Hmm. they viewed that as a moral wrong, and they didn't want their investments to be... um, out of line with their personal values so we could take an exclusionary approach right where we can start knocking out certain types of companies um and then moving even further we could actually ask harder questions we can say what are the positive outcomes maybe we want to invest in our communities maybe we want to you know Invest in things where the profits from those from our investments actually flow back into our communities through community investments or investments in uh, something called a community development financial institution, things like mm-hmm. that. Right. So you can, and then you know, taking it even further, we can try to um, do some impact investing, which is where we ask very difficult questions about. And you'll you'll have to forgive me here. I uh, I have a degree in philosophy, so this one's going to get a little counterfactual on you, right? But impact investing asks a question what happens because our clients took action because they made an investment and we have to be able to measure these things, but what happened because our clients took action that would not have happened without that action? And that definition, which is very, very difficult to uh, to uphold and to actually answer, um, is to me the highest definition of impact. And it's not right for every client, right? Those, those investments tend to have different characteristics or risks, and it's really important that we can consider them within the context of a client's holistic financial plan, if they even want to do that at all.
1: Well, and some of this is about, like you said, morality and values around you know, not wanting your money to be actively supporting something that you don't want to align yourself with. I think you know it's pretty you – know, I, I hope it's not too political to say that it's probably good to not invest your money in apartheid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you're also saying, though, that this isn't just about um, morals, but it's also about risk. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's even more than that. It's actually also about life planning right? Mm. Um, It takes this idea, when we look at a client, when a client first comes on board with us, we have to ask them about a lot of different values. And um, it's on the one hand about what they want to be invested in intentionally, but on the other hand, about what matters to them. And these things can be connected. It can be that um, it actually ties directly into the client's retirement plan thinking about what they, um, how they value their time, how they think about um, uh, just basically everything in their lives, and thinking about their, their um, values and their values in their portfolio can be a bridge into thinking about their philanthropic giving, to thinking about mm-hmm. retirement planning and retirement careers, how they want to spend their time in retirement. Because at the core, we are also financial planners. Um, mm-hmm. but when it comes to when it comes to to get back to actually answer your question here um when we're talking about risk in a portfolio right um that i would say is the 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 fundamental almost the most boring part of sustainable investing and i think that the the actual goal in that sort of part of the conversation is to make this sort of boring investing because um when we look at um let's take a hypothetical company right maybe they make soft drinks or something. Right? Mm-hmm. If you were investing, if you're choosing to invest in company A or company B, and you know they're very, very similar, but if one is doing a better job managing its water stress, for instance, managing its access to natural resources, we would say that that company is probably a more sound investment. And that has nothing to do with social issues. It has right. everything to do with a company's bottom line. So this is why I say that the Political The politicization of the ESG debate is really a straw man argument. It is um, debating against something that I think if people actually looked at what was going on in ESG analysis, they would look at it and go, oh yeah, this is a no-brainer. These things really could potentially impact a a company's bottom line.
1: Well, and I'm seeing some parallels too between some of the other guests that we've had on who are you know, who, who take a similar approach when it comes to the people within their company, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it, 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 lines up with their values. Yes. But it's also about just having a more long-term um, you know, less risky view of things. I, we had on several um, company owners who have talked about how they understand that when they invest into their workers and into their employees and whether that's through, um, fair wages, whether that's through, um, you know, better relationships in their culture, whether, you know, a variety of ways that you can treat your people better, it lowers the risk of, you know, retention issues and of of just problems that end up causing these little crises that pop up all the time. And so it makes sense to me that if you've got two two companies and one of them is, you know, taking care of the land that they have their factory on, let's say, in a more sustainable way, which allows them to, you know, kind of use water without having to rely on certain systems or you know, we could come up with a thousand different hypothetical examples. But it, I, I, I kind of see where we're going here with that. If a company is taking a long view when it comes to their profitability, to their, um, and to their just kind of uh, stability—not even sustainability, but just stability—that that actually increases their likelihood of being the kind of company that you would just want to invest in because they're a safer bet because they're not. Um, They're not ripping and tearing through their people and through their environment, and they're not thinking so short term about things, but they're actually looking at this with a long view. There's There's an indigenous saying that is, you know, you should be when you think about what you when you make decisions about how you operate, you should be thinking not about just yourself and not even just about the next generation, but about seven generations in the future. Does that resonate with what you're saying?
0: Oh, absolutely. And this is actually the main reason where why I'm actually a huge fan of ESG data. I just don't think it's the tool that I want to be using in my practice. I think ESG data is a critically important thing for, say, fund managers or portfolio managers to be looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, As a retail-facing financial advisor, my clients are regular people, and my job is to help them match investments that fit their values and understand the different ways that portfolio managers in mutual funds and exchange traded funds and things like that uh, can use this data. So I actually really, even though I, um, it can sound like I'm sort of not liking the way that ESG data is used, and we should really talk about sort of the data set that um, that Mm -hmm. I really like, um, but I really want that data, that traditional risk management ESG data to be used at a uh, at the fund management level. But I thought when I looked at it, I realized that it's doing a different job than what my clients are looking for. And hmm. so we had to build a new set of data sourced from boots on the ground, um, nonprofits, NGOs, and uh, other groups that can tell us what matters because ESG is at its core about financial materiality what will have an impact on a client on a sorry on a company and what my clients are asking is a fundamentally different question so we needed a different data set so we had to actually go out and build it but i'm really proud to say that we now have a system that allows us to expose not only what the data is but where it's coming from so that i never have to ask my clients to trust me that a fund fits their values they can go see it for themselves they can click through see the case studies in the portfolio and understand what's going on and then we can have conversations about trade-offs do they want broader diversification are they willing to accept um, certain small trade-offs in their portfolio or would they prefer to take a stricter approach? These are very individual personal decisions, and it's something that I'm really proud to do in my practice. Um, If you'd like to see how it works, um, you can actually start with our values questionnaire, which is embedded directly in the article that we've been talking uh, talking about today. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned in the article, and I think that's that's awesome that that resource is there for people to at least you know understand their own values when it comes to investing. Because if you don't understand where you're coming from, how can you communicate that to an advisor, right? right, right. And you mentioned the, the data piece of this. You mentioned the technology piece of this. In the article, you also mentioned your partnership with yourstake.org. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about Um, how this technology and how important that is when it comes to customizing um, investments for your clients?
0: It's really critical for me. Um, Yourstake.org is a great partner and I've been involved with them um, basically since they started developing this tool. Uh, It it allows us to go right to the heart of the issue from uh, the onboarding questionnaire where we help our clients guide, guide through a uh, sort of a process where we look at what matters to them so that we can start zeroing in on the data points that are that matter right not every person will care about say their exposure to maybe fur and meat production but my clients mm-hmm. who are vegans absolutely will um, some of my clients will be more um focused in on social issues of one sort or another and in in, in the system we actually have data points that are at odds with each other because some clients will be on one side of an issue and some clients will be on another. Um, as a fiduciary, my job is to put my client's values ahead of my own. And, uh, e- um, and your stake allows me to uh, show my clients exactly what they're invested in and then have deeper conversations yep. about their portfolio. Um, there's a great example in the piece uh, about a solar company. Um, You'd think that most of my clients are cool with a solar company in their portfolio, but um, for a client who has expressed an interest to say divest from fossil fuels, we have to have some conversations about things like corporate ownership. There's Mm -hmm. a a widely held uh, solar company uh, in many sustainable portfolios, please excuse me for not mentioning the name, uh, that is (laughs) uh, doing great work in my opinion, but is owned by an oil company and one of the company one of the conversations that i have with many of my clients is about using this case study where we we look at this company we say okay well it is manufacturing solar panels right it's helping us convert to a lower carbon economy right to a greener economy from a browner economy But because the um, profits from that company flow up to its corporate parent, which is kind of a nasty uh, oil company that's been involved in some pretty bad, uh, in my opinion, uh, public policy issues, um, some of my clients have actually rejected having that company in their portfolios. And that tells me a lot about the investor that I'm working with, um, that we start with the investment strategy, and we end up applying that even deeper into their financial and life planning.
1: Yeah and and I uh, I want to say something you might not even be able to but <laughs> is that you know it, it when i hear so many people who are kind of having a reactionary against impact investing values based investing esg whatever the thing is it's interesting that a lot of times when you look at who owns the media company that they are out of it's owned by fracking billionaires or by other fossil fuel billionaires. And so just, you know, be aware of that when you're hearing this is that it's important to look, not just at the person that you're listening to, but also at who's paying the person that you're listening to. I did have a question for you though, on you, um, I'm curious because I'm sure that there's a, there's someone out there who's listening to this who's a financial professional themselves. Maybe they're an advisor, maybe they're maybe they're thinking about getting into financial services, but they could view it as kind of an icky business, or maybe they they don't like business as usual the way that they're doing it. What advice would you have for a financial professional who's looking to incorporate values based investing into their practice and deepen their client relationships?
0: Ooh, I think that there is not one right way to do this. Um, I became successful when I started leaning into my own intellectual curiosity. And uh, when I understood that not every person will agree with me, uh, that there are enough people out there, and if you, the listener, are one of them then I would love to talk to you, uh, who, who think the way I do who are interested in aligning their portfolios with their personal values and who want to go a little bit deeper. But there's not one right way to make this happen. Um, To the person who's uh, considering incorporating values-based techniques into their practice, I think the first step is simply to ask the question to look at what's going on right now, and to be open with yourself and with your clients, if you have clients, that this is something that you'd be interested in pursuing. And just listen. Just ask them what they think. And I think you'll be very surprised. That's how we started. We asked our clients. We asked them what mattered to them. Uh, we used a, we had to find a framework to make it all e- relatively easy and we landed on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which you can see on our website. They're a free resource from the United Nations uh, that is very easy to, for people to, um, to get their head around, to understand. Uh, and we also had to do a certain amount of work around strategic framing to help our clients uh, to sort of avoid the swamp of negative cultural values that can sometimes come with these conversations.
1: Yeah. I want to, I want to end on this, this thought. So earlier I mentioned, you know, doing things for the future generations. What, what impact do you really see? If you can dream for just the one minute we've got left here, (laughs) but if you can dream for a second about what do you think that, what kind of impact do you think values-based investing can have on future generations?
0: Well, I think the biggest, most important thing it can uh, impact it can have on the people that are using it is to bring in people who have been disillusioned by the financial services sector and to help them make a plan. Because if you're not, if you don't trust your investments, if you don't understand them, it can be very, very scary. And my hope is that these techniques can take some of that fear out of that process to help people understand that their investments can be a beneficial force or at the bare minimum a neutral force on the world.
1: Absolutely, man. I love it. Thanks so much for having you for being on here today. I, I wish we could do this as a three or four part episode. Maybe we'll have you back soon to keep digging in on this. Um, thank you to Max Mintz. You can um, connect with him and his um, and his group by Googling Max Mintz and um, e-money advisor to read his article. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for being on here today. And remember to listen to the other shows here on Biz Radio US. And wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to subscribe, make sure to leave a review and leave a five-star rating. That really is the best way. If you think we're worth the five stars, uh, um, that you can share with what we're doing and help me spread the message of what people like Max and all the other guests we have on here are doing. So thank you so much for your time, Max. Thank you so much for your time, the listener. And don't forget, make sure to take care of yourself and take care of someone else
0: today.